Hi, I'm Kathy Walker, teacher, feminist and parent, and this is Raise Her Up, a podcast from the GDST, the UK's leading family of girls' schools. With 19,000 students across 25 schools and the largest women's alumni network of its kind, we are experts in girls' education and everything that goes with it. Even as a teacher with over 20 years experience of working with young people and as a mum of two girls, I am still learning every day. I think we all are. In each episode, we'll welcome an expert guest who will address a different topic that, as modern parents, we are bound to encounter at some point. Our guest for this episode is the award-winning blogger, best-selling novelist and hilarious cartoonist, Katie Kirby. That phase of being like 12, that I found books like Judy Blooms really helped me through that. And I felt like that was something that I really recalled a lot of the anxieties and worries that I went through. So I hoped <laughs> I could perhaps give it a good shot. From starting her blog, Herathogen, Katie has built a loyal following of parents who identify with her honest observations of motherhood. She's just published The Catastrophic Friendship Fails of Lot. Brooks, the second in her series of children's novels about an 11-year-old girl facing the challenges that go with starting secondary school. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up, and this is Katie Kirby. Katie, welcome. Hello. (laughs) Glad to be here. It's so lovely to have you here. And as a huge fan, I'm having a bit of a fangirl moment, but I'm just so excited that you are with us today. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you for having me. You've published books of your blogs. You're now on the second of your children's novels. Tell us a little bit about what made you decide to start a blog all those years ago. Um, God, it was such a long time ago now, but um, I was out of work. I think it was after my birth of my second son. He was about six months old and I'd been made redundant. I'd had a bit of a tough time of motherhood the first time round. It was just something to do really, just something to kind of amuse me while I wasn't sure what else I was going to do with my life. And also just because, as I say, I found it quite tough. And um, at the time I couldn't really find anyone else speaking about the realities of motherhood, you know, the tough bits, the hard bits, the kind of mundane bits of day-to-day life. So um, when I was looking for other kind of blogs that reflected my experience, I just couldn't really find any. So I just thought, oh, why not? So yeah, it was just a bit of a hobby. It's just something for me to enjoy. And I never really expected anything to come from it. It was definitely not supposed to be a job or, you know, a way of making money. It was just a way to enjoy writing and hopefully connect with people who were kind of going through the same sort of experiences. I mean, certainly that honesty about parenthood is something that has happened more recently, isn't it? I mean, I I imagine that when you started writing in 2015, you didn't imagine that you would have over half a million followers. I mean, what, what do you think drew people to you in that way? Um, I think it helped that I was one of the kind of first people to sort of start talking about motherhood in that way. And I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more blogs and social media pages that do it now. So obviously it was quite original back in the day. I was lucky that kind of got in there first. I started off, I didn't, I was just writing. I didn't, I used to post pictures and stuff, but I didn't used to do the cartoons at first. And then I kind of stumbled into doing the cartoons by just, um, you know, on a couple of things, I just didn't have the photos to go with it. So I just started sketching a few things and it quickly became apparent that people really related to the the pictures and I could use them to get some quite good humour across. And so I suppose that gave me a little bit of an angle that differed from some of the other um, bloggers um, out there. So 
So yeah, I don't know, but people did seem to resonate and um, follow me and support me and still do today, which is amazing. The cartoons are very kind of minimalistic, aren't they? I mean, they, but it's amazing how much you can convey. <laughs> yeah. You mean bad? <laughs> no, I really don't. I really yeah. don't. You can convey so much with a very basic cartoon. Yeah, no, I mean, I, weirdly, I get that a lot. People say, oh, it's so simple, but how do you manage to capture the emotions? And I, we just need to know how to do the eyebrows and the frown lines and the kind of <laughs> yeah. furious throwing the hands in the air and the red cheeks and stuff like that. So it is, I think that's the beauty of it, though. It's almost like um, it's why it, they look quite funny is because they're so simple yeah agreed so you have spoken openly about the toll that being a modern parent can take on our mental health you know I I always say being a mum is the hardest thing that I have ever done what have been your experiences of that I was one of the first of my friendship group to have um, a baby and my experience of babies before that was my sister. My older sister had one, but we weren't living that near. So whenever I went to visit, it was just like, oh, my niece is so cute. This is lovely. You know, I'm really looking forward to having one on my own. And then the reality was quite different to just sort of like popping in for a couple of hours. So um, I bought all the books. I bought the... um, baby whisper and all of these books that sort of talked about the routines I was quite you know well I'm going to get my baby to sleep through the night that's that's what I'm going to do I'll just read the books and follow the routine simple buying those books was the worst thing that I could have ever done and I know they work (laughs) for some people so I don't want to be too negative about them but um, if you've got a baby with reflux um, which I did I couldn't feed him to the schedule because he just kept throwing up you can't get your baby onto a schedule like that if they can't drink a full bottle of milk or they can't breastfeed properly or some people they work really well for and other people you just can't do it and I put myself under a lot of pressure and it just led to a huge amount of anxiety on my part um, which then turned into um, insomnia because he wouldn't sleep then I got stressed about how much I would sleep then I got to the point where I just couldn't sleep at all I was like a zombie I was getting I was just scared all the time I was scared of waking up in the morning I was scared of going to bed at night didn't know what's going to happen. It was the bleakest bit of my of my life, I'd say, actually. And I really didn't know how to get out of it. Um, my husband said, right, we've, you, you know, you've got to go and see the doctor. You've got to get this sorted out. Like, you know, you're a mess. And, and I just feel quite lucky that the doctor was really helpful. Um, you know, I had went on medication for for a little while and I came through it and I realized my mistakes that I'd made and for my second so I didn't you know I didn't do the books I didn't do that I just tried to enjoy it for what it was and I knew that eventually it would sort itself out and I, I it's it's hard though because I think when you say to a lot of people would say you know it goes so quickly they'll sleep eventually you'll get through this and at the time when you're a new mum you can't wait for weeks or months. It just feels like it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. And it was just, um, so it's, it's hard to know what kind of advice to give, but I think it's just sort of like, just kind of try and stay away from the books and that feeling of like, you have to do it this way. This, this is the right way. You've got to kind of muddle through and just look after yourself and not worry too much about what everyone else is doing. Absolutely. I remember um, somebody saying to me, you know, about my baby, you know, you know her better than anybody else in the world. Mm. And that is actually a really helpful signposting, I think. I mean, so much of what you said there resonates and I'm sure will resonate with people listening. You know, being the first of your friendship group to have a baby can be really isolating. Um, I remember as well, all the things that you think you will do. You know, I was convinced that I would make all my child's first foods organically and freeze them in ice cube trays. Yeah. Just, just after a while, you just think, I'm not doing this anymore, do you? <laughs> and also, you know, the fact that you speak openly 
about going to the GP. I mean, that is such a sign of strength, isn't it? Asking for help. Yeah, and it, it's and it's necessary sometimes, and it's hard. I think you need somebody sometimes give you a bit of a push and say, you know, this isn't this isn't normal. You can't go on like this. And I needed that push, and luckily, um, I took it, and uh, yeah, I was helped. Yeah, I think also, you know, if you were to Google Instagram motherhood, oh, you'd see the kind of the the, the sunlit pictures, the kind of the rose tinted stuff, and 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 the fact that yours is not rose tinted, I think, has been hugely appealing. You know, you really tell it like it is when it comes to parenting. And I have laughed out loud at some of your more expletive takes. <laughs> your cartoon about Elf on the Shelf, for example, or being asked to admire your kid's picture when you've just sat down to read the paper or the desperation for your partner to get back from work mm-hmm. when you've had a day on your own with your yeah. two preschoolers are just so real. Have you ever felt the need to to censor? Uh, no, I haven't really felt the need to censor, I don't think. Um I think everything that I say is kind of taken with a pinch of salt in some ways. And I think that people can appreciate the funny side of it and that it's often quite exaggerated. And I think people understand that it's, yeah, laughing at the tough times. Mm. Well, I think part of the appeal also is that nothing is taboo. Yes. The fact that we look at the kind of things that you say and think, oh my God, that has happened to me as well. I'm so glad it's not just me that that has happened to or that feels that way. I think that's the thing is is that it often does feel as a you know parenthood generally is that you're the only one that's going through these um tough times and it's not it's really not and the amount of things that I've posted and then people comment going oh my god I thought it was just me and it's helpful for me too because often the things that work best when I post them are the things that I'm going through in that moment so they're not planned they're not I don't have a content schedule I don't um you know try and rack my brains to think of something to post often when I post that's because I'm going through that at that exact moment so and it's like so over lockdown there was I had quite a few things that I wanted to say about how you know how I was struggling finding things tough and it just happens at those points that everyone else is you know obviously going through the same thing and they're reaching that breaking point as well so um they're kind of quite glad that somebody's put their you know hand up and said hey hey you know this is I'm finding this really tough and um, absolutely it is easy to think that you're you're the only one going for it you're the only one struggling um you're the only one tearing your hair out and you're you're the only one whose kids are just you know behaving appallingly (laughs) in public or whatever it is um but you're you're you never are you never are the oh absolutely and in fact speaking of you know the the tough bits and and the really mundane bits some of my favorite cartoons of yours are the ones that are the most heartrending ones the mum with the newborn the mum really rooting for her little one as he starts school I mean do you have a favorite yourself or is there a cartoon that has elicited the biggest reaction to it the the biggest reaction has definitely been to one that I did it's not parenting one one that I did over Christmas time where it's uh, talking about how you sort of feel festive up until uh, boxing day and then in that time between um Christmas and New Year you're basically confused you don't know what day of the week it is and you're full of cheese and and that's been shared to death and I've kind of lost control of that now because it's been copied and shared and it's almost like lost its association I just get loads of people tagging and tagging me in it every year going oh they've stolen this often they've stolen your cartoon no one's crediting you I'm like well I'm just gonna have to leave it now because that's just gone it's gone way out of my uh, remit now so but so that that's probably my most sort of famous one 
and then um I mean there's been so many over the years I suppose I mean some of the more recent ones I quite like I mean I, I hate motivational quotes so I quite like the kind of all the anti like motivational kind of quote things and I did one a little while ago that's um someone saying you know you got this babe or whatever and the other person going what do you mean you know what what do you mean I've got it I don't know what it is like it's that kind of thing of just people saying meaningless stuff and it's things that that you got this and it's like well I don't that's what I'm saying I don't got it and I don't I don't know it and then uh, those kind of things and the and there's another one um the kind of like she believed she could so she did meme that's sort of been about it I think I did one that sort of said oh she believed she could but she liked drinking wine on the sofa instead so she didn't that yeah. kind of <laughs> that kind of you know thing of just being like what are you talking about? It's the same, you know, people always saying it is is what it is these days is uh, another one of those kind of throwaway phrases that you say when no one's got anything to say. So you just kind of chuck in something meaningless. There is so much meaningless rubbish on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> there is a very famous cartoon of your of your boys. You've got two boys and, and a cartoon of your boys saying boring to the news that you've published a bestseller. And I wanted to ask you, now that they're a bit older, are they prouder of you? Are they more aware of what you do? And also, let's just cut to the chase here. Are they aware that you are a feminist icon, Casey? <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't think I am, but um, <laughs> um, no, they're, they're not really, I mean, I'm sure they are deep down kind of proud, but no, they're not um, impressed by what I do at all. In fact, if anything, I'd say they're kind of embarrassed about it. Um, like most kids, you can't, you can't, imp- you can't impress your own kids, can you? They're just like, oh, mum, you're just mortifying. Um, yeah, with, with my um, oldest, I, you know, I've said, I said to him when well, he's at high school now, but last year I you know, gave him some books. I said, I would take them into school. And he was like, no way, I'm not taking them into school. I don't want anyone to, to, you know, see, see that, you know, what you've written and stuff. And he's like, oh, it's just all about bras and girl stuff. <laughs> I suppose it's that like subject matter as well. He finds quite embarrassing, but, um, so he wouldn't take them into school. So I took them to the office and I said, look, I've got some, I've got four copies of the book. Like, I thought you could, you know, give one to the class. And then he came home after school and he was like, mom, I can't believe it. You gave your books in Mr. Kelsey had one in the class and everyone knew <laughs> he's so embarrassing he's just really embarrassed <laughs> yeah exactly so no that they, they aren't impressed the only the only thing that they think is quite funny is that sometimes when they get some of my adult books off the shelf when I say adult books you know it sounds dodgy but my, yeah. <laughs> my aimed at adult books um and they flip my especially my my youngest he's just turned nine but he'll flip through and they're like try and find the like rudest words and stuff and show them like oh look at one yeah so they quite like doing that and <laughs> they are there to keep us from becoming too big-headed, I guess, aren't they? They're to, they're to remind us that we're not as great as we exactly. think we are. As if we need any reminding of that, actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let's talk about your latest project, which is a series of children's books centred around the 11-year-old heroine Lottie Brooks, who's navigating her way through transition to secondary school. I have a 10-year-old daughter of my own who could not put this book down. So tell us a bit about it. It's, it's a bit of a departure from your Hurrah for Gin work, isn't it? It is, but it's still the sort of same style of humour, I think, if you like. Quite silly and mad. And obviously it's got the same pictures, but it's not targeted at adults. Obviously, it's now I'm writing for children, which has been a dream of mine ever since I was a kid, to be honest. As I said, like I started writing the blog because I love I love writing and um you know when I was a kid I used to love writing stories and um so it's a bit of a dream come true for me really and I think as I you know as my kids have grown older 
I've stopped talking about motherhood as much. It's just naturally sort of like coming to an end, that side of things, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, as I say, my oldest is at high school. Their challenges aren't things that I want to share in the same way anymore. They're more private and personal. It's not like we're all laughing about babies and toddlers and stuff where it's all like generic. We all go through the same things. And as they get older, their privacy is becoming much more important. So I don't want to talk about us and our lives in the same way anymore. And so something I've been thinking about, you know, what do I do now? Like, where do I take what I've done and, and move forward into another form of work really or or else I don't and I go and get a job doing something completely different but I really wanted to write for that age I loved when I was growing up all of the Judy Bloom books and I felt like they were really helpful for me and that kind of phase of being like 12 is just it can be super tricky it's just like you feel like a kid still but you're not, everything's changing, your body's changing, your friends are changing, you are starting a new school, you're kind of expected to start behaving a bit like an adult and taking responsibility for yourself. And I found books like Judy Bloom's really helped me through that tricky period. And I couldn't find much of a modern day equivalent when I was looking around. I could see stuff for like younger um, children and then I could see quite a few books for teenagers. And so I felt like there was kind of a bit of a gap talking to that age and I felt like that was something that I really recalled a lot of the anxieties and worries that I went through so I hoped (laughs) I could perhaps give it a good shot. In each episode of Race Are Up we hear from a member of our GDST family to gain their perspective on the matter at hand. Today we hear from Laura Comerford, junior head at Brighton Girls, on how they handle the transition like Lottie Brooks experiences from primary to secondary school. At Brighton Girls, we have small class sizes, which means that every form teacher knows the pupils in that class really, really well. Nothing escapes them and nothing's ignored and any issues that crop up are picked up swiftly, recorded and then passed on to the correct member of staff. All pupils benefit from a really supportive, nurturing environment at the prep school. We keep a really close eye on any friendship mishaps and we react quickly to these. Rather than swoop in and try to solve problems for our pupils, We prefer to empower them to be able to navigate these on their own in year six. We think this really helps build people's resilience, empathy and flexibility. At Brighton Girls, we have an excellent personal development curriculum, which really helps pupils to build a sense of self-worth and the understanding that their value is based on more than just superficial things and the knowledge that they're unique and important just for being themselves. Our staff model this through our use of language, our approach, the way we talk about body image. Our pupils are enormously supportive of each other and we encourage that through weekly celebration assemblies, positive pioneers, which are a small focused nurture group, and through participation in team sports and in clubs. There's a much shorter period of reorientation in year seven. We plan a series of steps to senior school events throughout the summer term, through which our prep pupils are able to meet senior school staff who might be teaching them, visit the new learning spaces, get to know any incoming new pupils, and just smooth out that step up so that it's not so much of a jarring transition. And it's more something that feels really manageable, really exciting, and they end up looking forward to September with confidence. So you're a mum of boys, but you've chosen a a female protagonist in the Lottie Brooks books. 
Why is that? And can I also ask, are you tempted to tackle the boys' perspective at some point? Will you do a sequel to Archie Adams, maybe? <laughs> um, I think I chose to write from a girl's perspective just because I am a girl. And I think, as I say, like I based a lot of Lottie around my own memories and thoughts and feelings. And I think of that age, I would have struggled more to write it from a boy's perspective. Even though I've got boys, that would have been, it would have been more helpful if I'd had a girl and written it from a girl's perspective. So yeah, I don't know. I just, I just felt like I, I had to pull the thoughts and feelings from what I felt like it would have been harder to observe them and then write about them in the way that I have. Um, but I do get yeah. loads and loads of people messaging me and commenting all the time saying, please, can you do something similar for boys? <laughs> the same sort of age, but um, from a boy's perspective. And I don't know. So I, it's something I've like considered, but I just, I'm not sure if I'd be able to do it justice I don't know I think I'd probably find it easier to write from a slightly younger boy's perspective because I'm I'm very much uh on top of all the kind of fart humor and stuff like that um (laughs) so that yeah that that which is all my mine are about um at the minute my oldest is at high school but he's he's an August born so he's very young and he's not going through the sort of like changes just yet he's still very much a a little boy still so maybe I don't know yeah I have to sort of see how that all goes when the the hormones kicking for him but (laughs) Of course. I was just about to say, you know, maybe if you did a book for boys, they might take an interest in uh, a greater interest in your work, but probably not really with all due respect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, they'd still be really embarrassed, I think. I mean, maybe it'd even be worse because their friends would be reading it and like laughing or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Do you ever feel protective of Lottie? You know, you put her through quite a lot. (laughs) yeah I think I do yeah and I think Lottie like deep down I mean I based a lot of Lottie on myself when I was her age like um not just the like her looks but yeah some of it like I was um you know worried about being I was very skinny worried about being flat chested I thought like the most mundane hair color ever like your mousy brown you know so a lot of those kind of um things I pulled for myself and a lot of the kind of um yeah they're probably exaggerated experiences but the things I recall from the first bra shopping trip which so is painful exactly so a lot of those things that I've kind of pulled my own um memories for but ultimately I wanted to make her really quite like normal like very everyday um she's not super popular or um super confident she's just you know a very normal girl who worries about all the normal things and deep down she's also she's kind and she's nice and she's lovely and hopefully people you know are rooting for her when she's going through all these tricky times yeah absolutely and also I think that you shine a light on the fact that our little people really do worry about things that we see as being mundane but they are huge when you are 10 11 12 yeah definitely and um yeah as, as I say when it, you, you know you start high school and it's uh, a whole new kettle of fish as well and suddenly like hundreds and hundreds of people all around you and mm. you know you're struggling to find your place um within that and fit in and make friends and in the the first book Lottie starts school completely on her own which is um you know something that a lot of kids have to go through too and something that my son um had to go through as well because he got into a school with uh, none of his friends there you know, and he's been absolutely fine. That's the thing. Like you worry so much about fitting in, making friends, but often a lot of it is in your head and, you know, starting a new school of new friends can also be a great opportunity and which it has been for him sort of like break out of that mold. And yeah. 
It's so tricky though, isn't it? Because obviously it's our kids that are starting school, but because they are extensions of us, sometimes I think it can feel like we are doing it as well. Uh, yeah, def- I think we worry way more. Yeah, we worry way more about things than they do. I think I was more upset when we found out about the school than he was because you know, I worried, oh, it's, you know, how is he going to do? What's he, you know, with all, about all his best friends that he's been with, some of them since, you know, like, like nursery school and things. But uh it, he just took it in his stride, as they so often do, surprise us. <laughs> yeah. So, Katie, you are you're a hugely successful blogger, writer, cartoonist. You have accompanied and reassured a generation of women on their journey through motherhood, myself included. What next? What are your future plans? Um, oh, crikey, I don't really know. I mean, I'm just see how it goes. I mean, I keep doing keep writing as long as people keep wanting to read it um so I suppose that's the the funny thing about you know my kind of job or being an author is that you're kind of only as good as your last book aren't you so there's no job security here I just have to sort of take the opportunities as they come and um yeah I mean obviously I'd love to keep um writing and um the second book is out and then the um I've got my third one which I'm just finishing the edits on and that's out in mid-August I think and then I've got I've signed to do another one after that so there's definitely going to be four and then um I don't know and then we'll see see what happens yeah (laughs) brilliant well Katie thank you so much for being with us today I've so enjoyed our chat and you can get Katie's latest novel The Catastrophic Friendship Fails of Lottie Brooks which is out now and it is brilliant so go buy it Katie thank you again thank you very much for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST. To hear all the experts we have on this series and to make sure you don't miss one, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you could leave a review and a five-star rating, it'll help other parents and carers to find the podcast so they can listen and learn too. I'm Kathy Walker. Join me for the next episode of Raise Her Up when I'll be with journalist, author and sustainable fashion expert, Lauren Bravo. Let's start with the environmental stuff. So fashion is one of the most polluting industries on the planet. It has a carbon footprint that is bigger than aviation and shipping combined. If we fix fashion, it would make an enormous difference. The worst offenders, I would say, who sort of score badly across all categories would be... I'll see you then.